0: Classic. Classic? It sounds like that the pickle commercial. Classic. That's exactly what I was going for. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. Vlasics. Finally, I think for the first time in four years, we're on the same page. All right. Well, Look I at that. Don't expect it to happen again. No, well, no. Well, it in four years. Go yeah, buy a lottery ticket. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Mm-hmm. So we decided to look at the calendar and out the window and... Jump a little around in the classic archives. Wow, we have archives. That's we do. Because cool. mm-hmm. it's our show. Yeah, and we yes. can do what we want. Damn it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so let's. We figured people are like, yeah, I know it's in the archive somewhere, but I, you know, I couldn't find it, which means they didn't like try and dig for it. But I get it.
0: So we will do what we can to bring you information that is pertinent to the season that is timely even though mm-hmm. the seasons are different depending on where you are uh, i don't go in for math it's okay uh, yeah you yeah so it's gonna be time to dry soon it is it is and we did a glorious two-parter with our friend dan all about drawing yeah
1: we did you know, mm-hmm. well one was about drying and one was about building a dryer right yes
0: yep okay. and i say glorious because he was you you'll see as he asks at the early on in this episode, he says something about, well, your viewers will see or so, or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, and you reminded him, you said this is a podcast, or, or he used some profanity and wasn't yeah. sure if that was allowed and and i I quote your famous lines, "This is a podcast, and it's glorious <laughs> It is glorious. <laughs> mm-hmm. That needs to go on a t-shirt. Oh, it's a podcast and it's glorious. You know, mm-hmm. nothing nothing screams fame like, you know, being a podcaster. Yes. Well, I, I, I think I've used this line way too often. We've got faces for radio, mm-hmm. so let's we use do. them. We do. We do. So first first episode, any, anything else you want to say about this episode? I mean, it's the first one, as you said, is more about the drying, the science behind drying, the math behind drying, how, uh, how you can ruin your crop and how you can not ruin your crop. Well, I think that the... Ultimately, what it comes down to is that anytime we've ever gotten into the topic of drying, you
1: know, there's so much there that people tune out because they want it to be simple. Right. Right. They And and at the heart of the science, it is simple. But there's so many ways you can screw this up and there's so many variables that that go into the process of drying that people just tune out. It's like they get to like step number four or variable number four and they're just like that's i'm done Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i'll just you know isn't there a button i can push and just have it be dry that's yet another example of how you know hop growing is is a challenge
0: sure sure it's it's one more thing that is not industry standard for any reason in anything with any other crop i mean there we've talked about some of the similarities with some other crops but they're few and far between and typically not the standard hop grower angle for a new hop grower they mm-hmm. usually don't know about those other specialty crops and and yeah there's uh they're hard
1: they're hard yeah and i mean it makes it harder for people to understand Dan and his
0: science when he's drunk so well, yeah because there's, there's a lot it's a lot of reasons why it's hard to understand Dan. <laughs> he's i will say my my memories of these two episodes because we'll we'll do the other one as well follow you know soon I remember you guys being a lot drunker than you were in episode one. Oh yeah, episode the, the first episode with the math was was actually more just goofy Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, um, yeah. there's still a lot of valuable information, but it goes a little bit off the rails.
1: It, it, it does go off the rails, <laughs> and you know that was that was a learning experience. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> you, yes, the information is is good. It's valid, but we were uh, we were imbibing,
0: um, and yeah it was uh it was quintessential day yeah it might have been the first appearance of you mentioning the monkey room as c- well it could have been yeah cuz we were upstairs and by name both of us sitting on the floor uh cross legged as middle aged men that's not easy to do <laughs> yeah
1: So Greg, it the time is upon us. Uh, the, the critical time that everybody freaks out about, and frankly, they don't freak out about it early enough, which is why we're recording drying hops in June, uh, but it's something critical that we need to talk about. And this is gonna be, I think, the first of maybe three that we're gonna do uh, on drying hops, because it is so critical. And hopefully this is the one that gets a gajillion listens to uh, year after year after year. But it'll probably only be uh, like four days before they actually have to dry. And,
0: and you know, I know that you and I, from the day we started this podcast, have talked about the fact that one day, and I'm so glad I get to do this before you do, one day we're going to bring on the guest with the most hot air possible, whether that's literal Mm. or figurative. I'm so (laughs) glad I got to say that before you stole it from me.
1: It's, it's both. And, and, and before I, I let him out of his cage, uh, I want to talk about the fact that we will talk about selling and harvesting for wet hops in a very near future. So this, this uh, conversation is all about drying hops at harvest. And basically, as I love to tell people in all of our workshops and seminars and any place I can, hop drying is something I love to call how to wreck your crop in 30 minutes or less.
0: And we say over and over again, this, you know, we talked about water. This is so critical. We talked about weeds. If you do this wrong, you're going to blow everything. Everything is critical. But this, to your point, is one where everything else can be going along so smoothly. And this is one of those that if you know what you're doing, you can do it right.
1: Well, and I think, yeah, and I think it's critical to talk about the why. So, you know, we're going to talk about the why today. Why things work the way they do, that way people know how to adjust their processes to make sure they hit their, you know, expectation. You you work all year long. If mother nature, if, that's a big if, mother nature cooperates and you hit every single milestone on the head and you have the absolute best crop and you've got hops coming out of your yin-yang and you, you turn away for a second during hop drying, you're done. We, we can't stress this enough. Fortunately, uh, with us today, we have a, a preeminent expert on Ooh. hop drying. Yes. Uh, so he's a former partner of ours, but and also one of the, uh, the brains behind uh, the AromaSmart technology and low-temperature hop drying, uh, Dan Detmers. Dan, introduce yourself
2: so greg calls me hot air and you call me preeminent i'm sorry
0: greg your stock is falling
1: (laughs) you're a preeminent
0: hot air provider dan i'd like you to spell preeminent for us please
1: (laughs) it starts there's no q in it let's put it that way oh man well you know i'm an engineer spelling's not my thing no it isn't no and 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 greg uh, greg you know dan as we know is a bit of an oxymoron because uh he's an engineer yet he's outgoing and well spoken and is a good teacher. So uh he is not that engineer that's looking at his own shoes. Uh he Well,
2: I am at the moment, but, but only <laughs> cuz of where you've got me situated. Yeah, we
1: are sitting in the monkey room upstairs in in uh my house which has my wife's uh plushy toy collection in it which provides a lot of sound dampening. So we're coming to you live from the monkey room.
0: We will need a picture, by the way, for the podcast. You
1: you will get one. Excellent. Live from the monkey room.
0: Acoustically situated monkeys and frogs.
1: Yep, yep.
0: And live for the monkey room is the title of the episode. Okay.
1: Yep, exactly. So so, so we want to talk, you know, and, and just a little bit more about Dan and, and sort of how he fits in. Is When we started Gorse Valley, you know, he was one of the early folks, along with you, Greg, that, that I rounded up because we figured that, if we're going to have an opportunity to compete, we need to take a take a look at this from a technical perspective and ask those questions. Why is the Pacific Northwest drying at high temperature? Why are they doing? Why are they blowing air up from underneath? All these things, from a, a systems analysis standpoint, seem unoptimized. And so we're like, how are we going to address this? So what? What do you think about? It? Would you agree, that's,
2: Dan? That's absolutely correct. So. Um... Many, many years ago, when James wrote me into all this, uh, you know, he said, Hey, let's grow hops. Uh, you're the food processing guy. So take care of the drying, the processing. I don't know. We might have to pelletize or something someday. And I thought, Oh, how hard could this be? I- I've dried just about every kind of fruit, grain, other cereal in the face of the planet. It's one more thing. Mm-hmm. The problem was. As we have all come to learn, hops are probably closer to roses than to corn,
1: so it was a little bit tougher than I thought. I would not. I would say not probably. I would say definitely. Definitely, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh
2: so of course, you know, the first thing I said. Well, what's the latest research? We looked at the Pacific Northwest. They were drying 140 or more degrees. Thankfully, they've. I like to think it's our influence. They've come down to low temperatures of 135. 135. Yeah, they knocked off a whole five degrees there. Woo. <laughs> and I was like, well, what's the basis of this? So we started looking it up, and I started researching it. And I one of the first things I came across was uh, that uh, document by, what, a Mr. Rudd. that Rudd. Rudd. He, he grew up in this area, Stock Prairie, Wisconsin. He was a preeminent hop grower during the big hop craze of 1860s. And he gave many, many great pieces of advice. Like you have to tie your hops up to the wooden pole
1: using a red piece of yarn. Right, wasn't it from a sock or a mitten? sock?
2: Use sock or mitten, yeah. preferably one. Gotta, gotta
1: be. Yep.
2: Uh, oh, and you, and then when you were bailing them, you had to, uh, in an unpolitically correct dance, like no Indian brave had ever danced before. But mm. he used other language that I don't even prefer to use. Some of the things he did is he gave a temperature range, and the ideal temperature he gave was 140. I'm like, okay, so 100 years have gone by. There's got to have been some research in between. And by golly, there was some research. There was a lot of stuff from the late 1800s through about the 1940s that said the proper temperature for drying was uh, right in the range of 100, maybe 110 degrees. Some were even going as low as 80 degrees. Then all of a sudden, after World War II... Those numbers jumped to 140, 150, 160. I'm like, what's the difference? Did Mm. the hops change? Of course not. It was the point of the study, right? Uh We went from drying for quality to drying for speed and efficiency. Get it done as fast as you can without destroying those alpha acids. And when I explained that to you, James, you said, that's great. We want quality. We don't want efficiency because nothing's efficient around here. All right. That's exactly any farm will tell you that. <laughs> it's going to take as much time as it's going to take. So that's where we started backing up and looking at it and trying to figure out how are we going to dry for the highest quality, not
1: necessarily with the greatest amount of speed. So we're talking to growers at various scales and later we'll get into, you know, building dryers and whatnot. But I think it's really important, and Greg, I want your insight because again, you're the you're you know the foot soldier in uh, fending off all of the random inquiries we have gotten over the years. But hop drying always seems to be this giant black box for people, and they just sort of like, yeah, all right, well, you know, I'm going to dry this. Till I got a fan. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back the Volvo out of the garage and. You know, I'm going to dry, dry my hops, but people don't, I think, understand the principles around, just around hop drying or moisture loss in general. Greg, would you agree with I, that or disagree?
0: Or? I completely agree, and I'll take it one step further. In speaking to folks that are first getting started, it is the last thing they are thinking of, primarily because it, it's not even something that they're aware they have to do very often. Usually we talk about the fact that, well, how are you going to sell your hops? I hadn't thought about that. I'm just going to grow them. It's even beyond that in terms of the thought process. When you get into these conversations with folks that are new at this about drying, well, can I just pick them and sell them? Um, To a very, very small handful of brewers, maybe the wet hops, but that whole concept of drying of staging your harvest in such a way that you can be drying while you're harvesting the next round. Um, people just don't think of it. And when you bring it up and you add that to the project plan that they have to do in terms of setting up a new yard, it, it can be very, it, it's either very revealing or it's a, well, yeah, sure. That shouldn't be too tough. And then I go ahead and I quote you with the, uh, you know, how to ruin your crop in 48 hours or less. In 48, 30, a half an hour.
2: Um, Greg, he, you apparently don't remember some of our first seasons when I ruined a hop of, uh, crop <laughs> of hops in probably about 20 minutes. Oh, yes.
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, we tuition at the University of Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we we learn by doing. But, Greg, you bring up a good point that that this is the last thing people think about. And it's like the most critical aspect of delivering quality is certainly in North America to... Uh, to our brewers, you know, and our Aussie and New Zealand friends that are smaller scale, hi gang. Uh, I know you're dealing with fresh hops, and Greg and I are going to devote an entire episode to that uh, for you. But for the North American folks, and maybe even our our, our crew in Lithuania, uh, we're talking about drying for preservation and. Let's just get into the nitty-gritty of hops. I mean, we got Dan here. He is the expert. So let's let us let him tell us about how hops dry. Let me just well, make
0: one comment before Dan jumps in. It's, it's about preservation, certainly. But one of the common pushbacks that I would get is, well, I'll just find someone who wants to buy them wet. I just won't go down that processing path. And what we would always tell them is, um, and this is a few years ago, but the numbers I don't think have changed very much, 95% of hops used by brewers need to be dried, processed, pelletized, stored. Um, the, the market for the wet hop is just not there.
1: And I think that's generous, but you are, you are spot on.
2: Just for clarity, when, for those who are new to this podcast or new to hop growing, when these guys are talking about wet hops, that means you are essentially picking that hop off the vine and you are brewing with it that very same day. Um, Understanding that the moment you start, once you pick that hop from the vine, it's dying, right? You have just ended its life, and now the process, it's erased. To get it dry versus it starts to mold, it starts to rot, other bacterial forces take over and ruin it. So if you're going to do a, a wet hop brew with a brewmaster, you have to coordinate it all to the point where that brewmaster is boiling the wort and getting everything ready for you to bring the wet hops to him.
1: You're ready to rock and roll. Right. There's no like, yeah, bring it to me and I'll get around to it next week.
2: No, there's no waiting till tomorrow. There's no waiting till next week. It's gotta be that day and it's gotta be the right amount. So if your picking crew doesn't show up, you got to call him and tell him to dump wort. And for some reason, brewers don't like to throw money away.
1: Yeah. It's a little grumpy. It's a grumpy subject. Right.
2: Yep. So, so why are we preserving it? Because as much as I might like a wet, hot beer, it's not always possible. It's not feasible to brew all of your beer in one day for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need to dry them, right? Now, probably the best analogy, more so than a rose, is, how do you pronounce it? Potpourri? Potpourri?
1: Potpourri. Potpourri. For, for those elitist uh, intelligentsia among us, yes. It's right. Potpourri. Not po- potpourri. So think
2: back to when you were a kid and you went to your grandmother's house and she had that little bowl of mm-hmm. things that looked kind of like potato chips, <laughs> but when you chewed into them, they didn't taste so good. You know what I'm talking about, Greg. I, I, I'm thinking yep.
0: more of the sachet of potpourri that, you know, someone could probably use in their underwear drawer, Dan. Can, can like, you
2: actually say sachet and potpourri in one sentence on this podcast? You can. You can. You, you you
1: can. You will be ridiculed. All right. Uh, <laughs> but you can. Pl- and please do. Okay. So, again, back to that potpourri. Potpourri. potpourri.
2: Mm-hmm. When it was just sitting in that bowl doing nothing, right? Did it smell? Maybe a little bit, right? You could get a little bit out of it, but not much. But when company was coming over, what did grandma do? She either went and turned on the light bulb underneath it, or she (laughs) lit the sternal
1: can, or she
2: put some kind of heat on it. A little
1: votive candle under there, yeah. There you go, a Mm -hmm. tea
2: candle, something. Mm -hmm. And boom, all of a sudden, the whole whole house smelled like potpourri instead of your smelly little childhood body. So why did that potpourri start smelling? Because you were adding heat. You were... Um, volatilizing all the organic chemicals that are in that potpourri and releasing all the oils, the you know some call them oils, essential oils, terpenes, flavors, whatever the you want to call them, aromatics, the aromatics. Yeah. So off they go into the into the atmosphere. They make the house smell so good. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're drying hops at high temperatures, and you hear this all the time, right? Read anybody's blog or Facebook page from when they went to the Pacific Northwest and visited one of the big hop dryers, and they're Burning away with 140 degree, and man, it smelled so good. It smelled just like my favorite beer. It smelled just like this. It smelled like that. Well, what are you smelling? You're smelling all the flavors and aromatics and everything you wanted trapped in the beer, but they're getting out because you're drying at such high temperatures.
1: Ah, uh, I get it now. So basically, these they're volatile, right? So they're, exactly. they're they you add energy and they poof. They they go from the hop into the air. They're aromatic. We can smell them, and oh, yes. then they're a contributor to flavor. Uh, and so these compounds, we do know, and you bring up a good point, that if people say, well, yeah, hops are aromatic, they're the perfume of beer, or, or as Jim Cook says, there's the spice of beer. And he's not wrong, um, but I, I I love the potpourri uh, analogy because it is absolutely critical. I like to tell growers that if you walk into a drying facility and it smells like drying hops, they're doing it wrong. Exactly. If you're looking to preserve aroma compounds now, and there's some very brandy new shiny data coming out that, that validates this concept. However, it's important to note that we want to keep this good stuff in beer. And the status quo uses, I think you're generous, frankly, at 140. It's more like 150 to 155 where we start to see the alpha acids breaking down. So we're blowing off all of these potpourri compounds uh, that are critical in how we perceive hop aroma and hop flavor. But I don't want to get too deep into that. Let's, let's save that. We'll do that maybe in the off-season uh, when everybody's forgotten the pain of harvest. <laughs> <laughs> you mean <laughs> February? February, March? January, in, in the stupor hangover of New yes. Year's. Uh, we'll talk about that. But, but let's, let's look at, I've got a wet hop. All right. I'm out harvesting. I'm hand harvesting. I'm running it through a whatever a small scale harvester. I've got a a wolf harvester. What doesn't matter. But I'm basically getting fresh cones off of binds. But then I'm like, man, God, it's been this is an awful day. I'm just they'll be fine in the dry. I'll get around to dry them in the morning. Oh, wrong. What's wrong about that?
2: Well, you can get around in the morning, but they're gonna be kind of a reddish. Reddish brown?
1: Well, can I put those in Killian's Red?
2: Yes, you can. But no beer that I want to drink.
1: Oh, there's the kicker. So, Wait, do they actually brew Killian's Red anymore? I think it's created in a laboratory somewhere. Okay. Greg and I will talk about harvesting a little bit later down the road, but people need to get ahead on building their dryers, and we'll talk about that sort of next. But can you tell us about how we remove moisture from hops? Give us a little primer on how moisture leaves the hop cone and how does that impact how we decide to dry our hops so a hop cone itself
2: think of it as a little uh water bomb this thing it's a water balloon it's a
1: perforated water balloon it wants to get rid of this water really really bad because it's at like well, if we target our harvest right, like 75% water, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 75% moisture content. We'll, yep. we'll define, well, no, let's
2: define that now. So when we talk moisture content, we're talking, the, the specific formula is wet weight minus dry weight divided by wet weight
1: times 100 to give yourself a percent. Okay, well, don't kill yourself no. on that. Greg and I will post this on the website for people to go back to. But let's continue just talking about these percentages.
2: So it's a... It's a percentage of the amount of water in there versus the dry matter. Right, perfect. So when when I'm talking 80%, basically 70 to 80%, I'm talking for every pound of actual dry matter, there's 4 to 5 pounds of water involved. Wow. Now, when I want to get dry, I want to be down, well, it depends upon what I'm doing. If I'm just trying to sell whole cone, I want to get down to around 12%. Mm-hmm. If I am
1: shipping them to get pelletized, uh, I'm going to want to get down to 10%. And I would say as a pelletizer, <laughs> 8% eight is best. If, yeah, if you send me 10%, I'm gonna, I'll do it, and I'm going to charge you a little bit more because it takes <laughs> longer, and I have to clean my screens out. If you send me 12% stuff, not only am I going to reject it, I'm going to come to your house and cut off your thumbs.
0: So, Dan, Dan, if you're, if you're just going to blow it off and sell them to someone to hang up during their wedding, um, which is what a lot of wet hops end up doing, what, what's the moisture content need to be then?
1: Greg, you bring up a good point, and I think that's a, an episode we are to maybe take on in the future about alternative uses for our hops that have nothing to do with brewing. Um, but if you're going to, like, sell them off to some, you know, florist or something, A, you come out and get them that day that you're going to use them for a wedding because they wilt so fast. Oh, yeah. And they look so poor that unless you take some sort of preservation step, forget about it. But let's just maybe focus on the, I harvest it. Now what? Now what? So, I mean, to Greg's point, if you're using them for some
2: alternative purpose, if you're using them for decoration, or if you've got some elaborate drying process and you just want to get them dry enough so you don't have to worry about them going bad, Bad. what you're looking for is a water activity, not a moisture content, but a water activity mm. of about 0. 0.9 or less. Okay, the difference being moisture content is the water that's in the hops. Whether it's free water, whether it's bound up in the cells, whether it's doing something or not, that's moisture content. We can measure that by doing an oven-bake method. Yeah. Water activity is a much harder thing to measure, so it's something we got to kind of estimate but to get to a water activity of 0.9 you really need to get the moisture content down to eh, around 25 20 percent or less
1: and that's the point at which our risk of developing bacteria or mold or decomposition components really drives to, um, not I won't say the zero but drives really low really low okay
2: and this is this is a, a discussion I often have it with our uh, growers of our cousin plant you you can say pot on this channel can i say
1: pot you can say pot
2: marijuana yeah you bet
1: mary jane absolutely
2: even hemp app
1: of course the legal stuff wow okay so yes (laughs) legal illegal this is a podcast and it's glorious so marijuana growers really like
2: to delay out the the drying process i'm not going to comment on what's happening and whether it's real or not but they perceive that something's going on the one thing i encourage them is dry it down in that case to 25 percent or so moisture content to get below that water activity of 0.9 so that way they're not subjecting themselves to potential rot mold Mm. mildew and other problems Mm -hmm. but from there now you can hang out all day and it's the same thing with our hops once you get below that you can take your time finishing the drying but here's the great thing like i said these are little water bombs all you need to do is pass some air over them, and you can get from that 8% to 20%, 24 hours or less, depending upon where the air is coming from, whether it's outside or air-conditioned or dehumidified or whatever the air is doing. Gotcha. So it's just a simple process of evaporation. Mm-hmm. We want to run dry air, low relative humidity over it so it absorbs the water, keeps on going, and we want to get rid of that air. Don't recirculate, because once that air is full of water, it can't take any more. Dump it out, get some fresh air. Keep the process
1: going. Keep the drying process going. So it's, if I think about this like a cup that I've (laughs) emptied, and I look at that cup as the total volume of water that the air can hold. Yep. Whatever I'm passing over my hops. And it's got nothing in it. I'm parched. I'm, I'm dying of thirst here. You're thirsty. So it will be able to easily pick up a lot of water from our hops as long as air is moving over the hops. Now, if you've got hops piled three feet deep. And you're using a box fan from, say, Sprawl Mart. Well, but so air is the fluid that we're using to remove this moisture content from our hops, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, you got to have the right airflow through the hotbed but let's say we do the the difference is if i'm in colorado okay on the western slope where it's dry as where be. their average relative humidity of their outside air is like 25 percent Yep, right that air that's like say my glass of bourbon is only 25 percent full it can have 75 percent you know empty space to pick up moisture.
2: Exactly. Now compare that to Wisconsin.
1: Or our friends in Virginia. Yeah. Or on, you know, in, in New Florida. England. Flo- New oh. England. Or, yeah, no, Florida. Florida, that's a whole different story. Right. They 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 can sell their hots wet, sorry. But let's say our friends... <laughs> everything's going to be wet. Let's say our friends in Virginia, Dr. Holly, so if we talk about that, where their air is, or their bourbon glass is maybe at 75%, full already. You've only got 25% space. That's not a lot of room. It's not a lot of room. So what do you do? Well, you got to
2: make your glass bigger or you got to empty it. So if it was a bourbon glass, that's no problem. Hand it over. So we got to we got to do something with that glass, right? And and here's the thing. It's relative humidity that we're talking about. Relative humidity and are you going to put this formula up for me? Yep. Relative humidity is the ratio sure. of the amount of water in the air over the maximum amount of water it can hold. So, what happens to that glass, or the holding capacity of air, when it warms up, Greg? It has more capacity?
1: Yes! Holy it, shit, he's paying I, attention. I know, I know. I didn't think he was going to retain that. <laughs> he totally had it on mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
2: He was probably filling up his own glass. Uh-huh.
0: All right. So Greg was absolutely you're gonna edit all that out of there, right? No. I'm glad <laughs> okay. my glasses over here are secure and many miles away from your glasses, so I know they're safe. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's 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 a good place to be.
0: So okay, so anyway, back to the glass analogy.
2: So if I heat that air up. It essentially is making, all right, sorry to use this, numerator and denominator. Y'all remember this in ratios? Numerator's the top, denominator's the bottom. So the denominator is getting bigger, which means my relative humidity, my fraction is going down, my relative humidity is going down. So as I heat that air up, my glass gets bigger, I have more holding capacity, and boom, I can pull away more moisture. Mm -hmm. But what's the problem with that? I just made the air warmer, which is going to do what to my hops, Greg?
0: Oh, well, if we raise the temperature, we're going to lose the oils. Bam. Our aroma goes down. We lose aroma. (laughs) He must have put the bottle down.
2: He did. Good. So, I mean, raising the temperature is perfectly viable. It gets rid of the moisture, but you're warming up your hops, and that can be a problem. So what's my other option? I got two more options. Number two is I empty the glass,
1: right? So how do I do that? You give it to James, and James empties the James glass. James empties the
2: glass. Yeah. Oh, oh, man, stay away from my glass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, this is air, right? Oh, I'm not interested in that. Right.
2: Yeah. So how do we get rid of moisture? We run it over a cold surface. So a nice cold surface, like an air conditioner, will pull that moisture out. It's a humid day here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so both of us have water condensing on our ice-filled bourbon glasses. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens with an air conditioning coil. It's cold, the water hits it, it falls out. The problem is, now I've got a really teeny tiny glass. I just went from a tumbler to a shot glass.
1: Oh, so the temperature is changing the size of my glass.
2: Exactly. Ah. And as it gets
1: smaller, the water overflows and hits the floor.
2: That's good. We got rid of water, but we've got a tiny glass, and that tiny glass is full. How much extra water can I fit in a tiny glass? Zero. Bam.
1: So that's why you can't use air conditioning... Right. To dry your hops. Oh. I have to
2: use a dehumidifier because a dehumidifier then takes that same air and heats it back up to where I started at.
1: So it it shrinks the glass, squeezes the water out, and then expands the glass. Back so to it where can...
2: I started. It's this novel concept that was come up with, I don't know, 150 years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> we're still refining it. So just to put in a plug for my new employer, Quest Dehumidifiers, yes. we make the finest, most efficient glass shrinkers, and re-expanders in the universe. So, okay, back, back to the topic. So through demonification, I'm removing the water from the air without heating it up. Eh, maybe a little bit, but no major increase in the temperature. Not above 100 degrees. Gotcha. Not up to 140 degrees. Pretty much right back at ambient temperature, so I'm not volatilizing all those wonderful aromatics.
1: It sounds to me, though, I, I totally get that, but it sounds to me like... That's going to take longer than just, like, blasting it with heat. Oh, and... Because what you're telling me is if I add heat, I make those glasses of bourbon gigantic. Yep. And if I move a lot of them through there, I can do this really quick. Yes, you can. Okay.
2: But the problem is with dehumidification, you're not using gigantic glasses.
1: So you've got smaller glasses and it's more controlled?
2: It is, but here's another problem. If you're using dehumidification for the entire drying process, it's going to be a really big dehumidifier. Now, I would love to sell that to you, James, because <laughs> if yeah, I no. could sell you that one dehumidifier to take care of, say, a third of an acre at a time, oh, that'd be awesome because then I could take the rest of the month off with the profit margin.
1: So in case you and our listeners didn't know, which Greg likes to remind everybody, I'm a cheap bastard. So Yes. <laughs> that's not going to happen.
2: So that leaves us with a third option. Okay. Let's increase the number of glasses.
1: Oh, wait a minute. So the dehumidifier, if you're gonna go that route, would need to be ginormous because there's so much water to get rid of at the beginning? Exactly. Oh, I get it. Okay. Let's save the dehumidifier for the end.
2: Yeah. In let's the do beginning, that. let's use plain old mother nature. Let's increase the number of glasses. Let's increase the airflow. Now here's the problem with the increase in the airflow. So you remember way back to like whatever two thousand 5, 4? Nobody
1: remembers that far back. I know.
2: Sometime when we were sitting on your porch and we were talking about this, and I started looking up how you dry hops, I noticed everybody puts them in a bed, and they blow air up and through. And I'm like, well, where did this come from? Well, historically, in Mary old Kent, back in 15... I don't know, when did Henry VIII kill all his wives? 1580s? Something like that? That's when hop growing took off in Kent. Well, the way they moved the air was by lighting a fire with anthracite coal underneath it, mm. and therefore the air flowed up and through the hotbed. And so I started thinking, why do we need to blow the air up?
1: Can't we blow the air down? So pressurize the top of the bed instead of the bottom of the
2: exactly. bed. Exactly. And when I started talking to others in the field, they told me I was crazy.
1: Well, okay, maybe. So what do you do? You put a fan above the hops then, pushing down? You can do that.
2: But it's going to kind of create a hopnado, as one of our former gro- here. Cheers to Kent over Gee, there in Michigan. Yep. His hopnado, as he called it, when hops start flying all over the place because the fan's blowing directly on them. Oh, it's
1: turbulence.
2: Turbulence. Right. You get hops flying up the wall, and guess what? Hops
1: don't like to be moved, especially at the end. So then if we're not going to put the fan above it, pushing down, can we put the fan below it and suck on that hop bed?
2: That's correct, James. You suck. I do suck. So put the fan below the bed, or at least the pressure below the bed, so you have a plenum underneath the hops. Pull the air down in a nice, even manner, and you can get to a much higher velocity than if you're blowing up. Oh, now that was about 12 years ago. I kept telling James, we can't blow up. We can't blow up. Well, one day... I left for the day, and James kept harvesting, and we ran out of dryer space. So James set up another drying pad, and he set up a fan to blow up. And when he went to bed, everything was great because those hops were full of water, and they were nice and heavy. But where did we find them all in the morning, James? I don't know. We fired that James. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. We got rid of that James. Right. Yeah, he was an idiot. So, so what happens to a hop cone as it dries? It gets nice and light and Uh. it starts opening up like a pine cone and it gets these little wings Mm. and then high velocity air blowing up and through tends to blow hops up and out and all over the place. And that's not good if you're trying to, I don't know, sell them or preserve them because after all hops
1: are food. So if I have a bed that I'm applying pressure to underneath, and I know this from all the irrigation stuff I've done and I have a hole somewhere that's, of lower resistance, the water's going to go through that hole and not make it all the way down to the end of my nope. irrigation line, right? Same thing happens with hops.
2: Same things happens with hops. Same things happens with hemp, pot, lavender, anything you want to dry. Yeah, Corn. Right? If you're not forcing the air to go through the hops, it's going to take the pass of least resistance. Wow. So it's going to find its way around or if you're blowing up and through that hop bed, it's going to start to shake those hops, shimmy those hops, and it'll develop what we call blow holes. So it'll kind of move the hops aside until it has a nice clear path, mm. and all the air is going to go through there. And now the heat, the dehumidification, whatever you're doing for, to pay for that air, it's all just going right straight back outside, and it's not doing you any good. I see. So that's why we advocate sucking the air down. Yeah, it creates a little more pressure drop, which means you're going to need a little larger fan, But actually, you're going to need a lot larger fan because, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast when we're talking Mm -hmm. about design. When you're blowing up, the biggest velocity you can get is about one foot per second, maybe one and a half in the beginning. Or otherwise, you're going to blow your hops all over. When you flip that over and you start sucking that down, you can go three, four, maybe even five feet per second if you have enough structure there to hold your hops. And that's five
1: times more cups to pull the moisture away. So, you can move, even if those cups have more water in them to begin with, the fact that you're moving more cups through that bed is removing more moisture.
2: Yep. So, we're going to start that way. We're going to start now. You get done with your harvest, like James said, you're tired. You probably are having a party for all your friends that came to harvest. Guess what? Let them go eat the suckling pig and drink the homebrew and everything. Your job isn't done yet. Yay! Life of a hop farmer.
1: I just want to say that there were never any suckling pigs or parties at our hop harvest times. Most people were too exhausted and sick of each other.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much true. But right. I, I have this like wonderful dream in my head that at
1: one point we had a roasted pig. So, Greg, given that diatribe, Can you maybe provide some perspective on what you have heard from folks? You know, when they contact us, or just on, you know, board, message boards, emails, whatever. In terms of their preparedness for this kind of activity,
0: Um, very little preparedness, I
1: would say. (laughs) (laughs) So, what are they going to do? Are they just going to? So, I've got a quarter of an acre in my back, my mom's side yard right? Dan's talking about building this dryer, which we'll talk about later, but, you know, it, it sounds really complicated. And I just, I'm, the thing that strikes me, is it, has got to be for, for small, small folks, there has got to be an easier way.
0: Well, there's the screen door. Um, the, the way that we always talk to folks about who were just starting out, who are very little, you just need airflow all in and around those hops. And, you know, we didn't talk much about history and, and, the word oast, I don't think we've actually defined, O-A-S-T, if our listeners haven't heard it before. The old oast houses, I'm sure there's more to it than this. It was basically a large old barn with a door on each side, so you had airflow. But if you've got a very small crop, you lay it out on a screen so it's got the most airflow possible around it, and you you blow through it. To your point, you don't want to blow everything away, so you've got to be careful. But you don't need to build such an intense structure as we're talking about here. With uh, I heard plenum, which is going on the next um, the next bingo page that I create. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but super simple. I think I recall one of our early harvests having everything laid out on a tarp in an air-conditioned room.
2: Yeah, pretty much. One cone deep is the key. One, one cone, cone deep, because you got to get air contact with everything. If you go 3 cones deep, you might get the bottom dry, you might get the top dry, but the ones in the middle are going to have a hard time.
1: So it's all about the exposure of that hop cone to the air, and the air may have varying degrees of fullness of its cups. Right? Yeah. So if you're if you're like if you if your cups are 75% full because it's a humid ass Wisconsin August and you've got even one cone deep in your garage, that's still going to take longer than if you brought them into your air-conditioned house. Is that right? Am I missing oh, yeah. something here? I,
2: I fully advocate always bringing them into the house to dry.
1: Master, master bedroom?
2: Master bedroom. Master bedroom. Because your spouse always is in love with whatever your hobby is. So whether you're <laughs> male or female, your spouse will just mm-hmm. be like, oh, I love going to sleep and waking up to the smell of hot... Did I mention the bugs, too?
1: Oh, there's bugs.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, from the moment you pick them, suddenly this hopcone, which has been harvesting spiders and everything, becomes undesirable to the bugs. So as they're sitting on the screen in your master bedroom, drying away as you and your spouse sleep at night,
1: well, the bugs are going to come out and join you, too. We talked about air as sort of cups with varying degrees of water in it. Yep. We talked about you want to remove the water or have empty cups as empty as possible moving over your hops to suck the moisture out of the hop cones and get rid of it and there's different ways to do that you can add heat to make the cup bigger you can dehumidify to empty the cup and as a plant physiologist horticulturist i look at that hop cone and i as if i you know split it in half with a razor most of the mass of that hop cone is in the very center, the yep. strig or the stem, S-T-R-I-G. The strig and the lupulin glands. Well, there's l- tons of moisture in the lupulin yep. glands, but you've got, you look at all these uh, leaves and bracts and bracteoles, and you're like, well, you know, those are, those are dry. As soon as those dry out, I'm cool, right? No. Because you get, there's still so much water locked, potentially locked in the strig in the center that if you, I could understand that if you dry too fast... On the outside, the only way that moisture in the strig can get out is through the little channels inside of the bracts to work its way out to the surface and get out. If we dry too quick and those little channels close up, wouldn't you lock that moisture on the inside of that strig?
2: Yep. And now, even though you're nice and crusty on the outside, the middle is going to turn into
1: a little pile of mold and pathogen ridden junk. So the outside... The very outside is dry, but the very inside is wet. Yep. But yet overall, on average.
2: Oh, on average, you're right.
1: You're you're like spot on. So I just wanted to bring that full circle back around to that sort of water activation it, you talked about, right?
2: If I put two buckets of water out and one bucket is at 30 degrees and one bucket is at 130 degrees, on average, I'm standing in 70 degree water, right? Mm-hmm. Don't check my math on that, readers. (laughs) But
1: I got one foot that's frozen and one foot that's on fire. He's an engineer, by the way. He doesn't do so good with math. Right. (laughs) So I just wanted to talk about that, bring that concept up, because as we dry this cone down, we need to... We're working to get the water out of the whole cone, but a huge amount of that water is stuck right in the center of the cone. And if we dry it too quickly, it'll sort of roadblock all that water from being able to get out and you'll have wet strigs as we call it or what we call core lock where all that water is locked in the middle and you can start to get degradation and rot on the inside of the cone even though the outside is dry so how fast is too
2: fast you know it depends upon the cone they come in different sizes but i will say that the pacific northwest They stop at nine hours. They will raise that temperature, but they will not dry it any faster than nine hours because they found that that's a pretty safe point. Mm -hmm. If you're drying faster than that, well, you're also probably destroying your hop storage index and the hop's uh going to come out looking yellow and Mm straw-like. But,
1: well, yeah, you got real problems. Right. And what I'm hearing, if I was going to sum this up for our listeners, is you've got temperature, can control your rate of drying. You've got dehumidification, which can remove moisture from the air, which can, tr- can help control the rate of drying. You've got airflow. Yep. So the number of cups that you're moving through the hotbed. The size of the cup, the emptiness of the cup, and the number of cups. So how is, and I think the last thing I want to touch on here, does that, All those parameters change based on how deep of a bed of hops I'm trying to dry.
2: Yes. I'm saying it with a question mark. I know. You're squinting a little bit. I know. So do all those parameters change? Yeah. Because um, they change due to the fact that you've got a deeper bed of hops. So the deeper bed of hops means more pressure drop, which means your fan's going to fight harder to get the air through that. So right up from the start, you're going to have to get a bigger fan to get all through that. And then, as you think about it, now let's all assume that you've bought into my we want to bring the air from the top and suck it down. Mm-hmm. So the driest air is hitting the top of the bed. Yep. And it's always going to be the driest air, and it's always hitting those same hops, unless you are somehow going in and turning them, which sounds pretty easy, but when you start getting massive volumes, it's not very easy no, to do. No, let's
1: talk about that later.
2: Okay. Whew. Good. So if I've got three feet of hops... That driest air is going to hit the hops at the top. And by the time it gets down to the hops at the bottom, it's picked up so much moisture that it no longer has the same drying potential as when it started. So the hops at the bottom, they may never get dry, at least not to the level you want.
1: So they may not hit 8 to 10. They may be 12 or more.
2: Right. So now you're going to have to go back to that law of averages, which means the hops at the top are going to have to get dried down to like 6%. percent mm mm-hmm. And then at the bottom, you might still be talking 16, maybe even 20%. And you're going to mix those up and hope that on average you come out to 10, 12, or 8% if you don't want James to come over and chop your fingers off.
1: So I could see that being a problem with certainly with heat, whether you're adding from the top or the bottom, where the bottom or top, wherever that super hot, super dry air is hitting first, over drying. Oh, yes. And then as that hot air moves through the bed, picks up moisture, it cools off and has less and less capacity to hold moisture. And then the stuff where the air exits is way under dry.
2: Exactly. Because the whole process of evaporation from the hop into the air cools the air down and therefore your cup shrinks, your relative humidity goes down. Wow! So you're, 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 you're triple screwing yourself by the time you get to that bottom, Mm -hmm. you're trying to use heat, Mm -hmm. switch over to humidification, Now it's a much cooler process. It's a much more regulated process. As James pointed out earlier, it does take longer time, but you're going to get a much more even dry from top to bottom throughout the whole process, regardless of how deep you are. Now the bed depth, the biggest influence of that is your ability
1: to move air through it. Oh, so it's it's the resistance to the fan. Exactly. So what you're telling me is, is that I have a high chance of over drying and wrecking my crop using heat but if i was dehumidifying using a you know conventional dehumidifier i have a very a much lower risk of over drying it's just going to take me longer to get to where i'm going
2: exactly so let me come back to the importance of that over drying but let's just okay so for all you listeners out there pick up a pen and a paper this is finally it we're going to go through the whole formula for you (laughs) right So, you pick your hops. You harvest them. The first thing I want you to do is put them, if you've got picking boxes, if you've got screens, do not put them in plastic bags. Do not put them in an airtight bag waiting to put them in the dryer. If it's a 6, 10, 12, 14-hour day, the stuff you put in in the morning, 14 hours later, is already going to be ruined. James hated it when I'd say this. Uh, James, i got to take a break to take the hops to the dryer and put them in the dryer and get them going. Because he knew he was losing one picker for 15
1: minutes. Two and a half hours.
2: Whatever. For some amount of time as I got the hops into the dryer so the drying process could start. Because I didn't want them to sit around and rot. Now, common myth number one. Oh, yeah. So, Dan, I loaded them in the dryer. But you know what? It was raining last night. And when it's raining, it's 100% relative humidity. So the cups were already full. So there was just no way I could get moisture out of them. So I I just left them alone. But when I came back in the morning, they were brown and reddish. Uh, So I guess I can't pick in the rain, right? Wrong. Yeah. Go back to, remember what those hops are? They're little water bombs. They want to get rid of that water so bad that that air outside, it's at 99%. It's not at 100%, but even with that wool 1%, by passing them through your hops, you're going to remove overnight anywhere you're going to get down to moisture content possibly as low as 40%, maybe even a little less. On a really good night, we've come in after 12 hours of sitting in the dryer with nothing but air and seen 20% or less. Right. So get them in the dryer, get the air going right away, get the drying process started. Get yourself down to somewhere around 20% or less. Because now, here's, here's your homework assignment, everyone. I want you to go and take that mathematical formula that Greg's putting up there, for moisture content, and I want to, you to calculate the amount of water at 80%, 70%, 60%, 50%, 40%, 30%, 20%, 10%, and then let's go all the way down to 6%. And what are you gonna see? A linear regression? No, it's exponential.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When you go from 80 to 60 percent, you just lost over half the water. When you go from 60 to 40, you lost a quarter of the water. The rest of the way, is just tiny little incremental steps. So when I say overnight on a rainy night, I'm going from 80 to 40%, I just got rid of almost two-thirds of the
1: water I wanted to get rid of for the
2: entire process.
1: And that was the easy water. That's right? the easy water. And that's the water zone where most of our degradation occurs. So even if it's raining, we can get closer to the safe zone yep. by still drying if it's raining. Now, we're finally down to 20%. So we've we've got it there.
2: You've got three choices at this point. You can continue to use outside air. And if you're lucky and the weather works out right, you will finish drying.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. What do I mean by lucky? I mean relative humidity is less than fifty percent. Right. Here's the problem. Every day, you know, if you're like almost small scale hop growers, you gotta go to work because you got an actual job to support your new hobby.
1: I'm sorry, business. All right. It's a business. Thank you. If my wife is listening to this podcast, (laughs) it was a business. It wasn't a hobby.
2: Right. So you you go to work and you come back after work and you check them. And it was a nice dry day. It was warm out because it was so warm. The relative humidity went down. And you're almost dry. You're down to maybe 14% or 12%. And you think, I'll just leave them in overnight and boom, I'll be done in the morning. Mm -hmm. But you come in the morning and you're at 17%. What the hell? Exactly. Well, what the hell is absolute humidity doesn't change very quickly. So but, wait
1: a minute. That's the, the total amount of water, the actual right. water
2: that's in the, the air. The actual right. amount of water. Right. But what happened to the temperature at night? It went down, so yeah. therefore the cup got smaller. Ooh, so,
1: so the, the water content, the cup filled
2: up. The cup filled up all on its own, and it couldn't take the moisture away. In fact, it was so full it gave a little bit of water back to the hops. Son of a bitch. Yep, you just went in reverse. Dang. So you leave for work again, and when you come back, man, it's down to 14% again. Oh, I'm almost done. But in the morning, you're back up to 17%. And you continue this until you finally get that one nice dry day. This might take a week. In one case, I think it took us two weeks and three days before Mm -hmm. I finally hit that dry day, and that's when I decided we've got to do something different. (laughs) Because I can't keep driving all the way out to check my hops to go, dang. Plus, there was this cheap bastard who kept screaming, are they done yet?
1: Are they done yet? That guy got fired. Anyway, so. That's fired, James. The the moral of the story is um, there's no free lunch when it comes to drying hops. And there's multiple ways to do it. And there are more opportunities than less to lower the quality however for those of us certainly in north america it is considered an absolute that you will be delivering dry product and certainly if you're going to pelletize so it, it it requires an extra level of expertise in the hot producing realm to in order to get a quality product through this process the principles aren't difficult nope but the opportunity for error is high very high Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. So
2: here we get to an almost dry hop. So like I said, you can either wait for Mother Nature to cooperate or you can force it. And the way you force it is either by heat or dehumidification. So now let's go back to the over drying principle. What is the biggest advantage of using a dehumidifier? You get to sleep at night. Ah, right. Greg, do you like to sleep? On occasion, yes. Okay. So think of it this way. If I'm using heat, I am creating super, super dry. I'm talking, I can get down to relative humidities of 4% or less. Ooh. Yeah, at those levels, I can get my hops down to 3% moisture content, 2. 2% moisture content. But guess what happens at about 5%?
1: Dust. Bam.
2: <laughs> Crunchy hops. Yeah. <laughs> That's when we, what were we talking about? Let's take this dust and see if we can turn it into a chicken barbecued rub or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Barbecue rub. How
2: how do we salvage this (laughs) batch that Dan just roasted? Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't from temperature. It was totally from over drying. So if you are finishing them off with heat, you got to stay up. You got to watch it. You got to monitor. You got to check that moisture content on a regular basis so you can pull them out at just the right time. It's your overcooking up. Exactly. Now, with dehumidification, dehumidification has its limits on the relative humidity. At most temperatures and conditions, uh, most dehumidifiers are not going to get you below about 30 35%. At those levels, you're still only going to get down to about 6 6.5% moisture content at worst. At that point, they're a little over dry, but they're not dust. You can salvage them, and don't worry. They'll pick up the moisture and go back to 8% Just- or...
1: Just leave them at 6.5%. Or you just run the dryer open and suck some little bit moisture air through there, and you can bring them back up to the 8% range. Exactly. Nice.
2: So if you use dehumidifiers, it means you actually get to go sleep at night, so you're rested and ready to pick the next day and not like Grumpy James that we also fired.
1: Yes. That guy's a bastard.
2: So once again, recap. Pick your hops. Get them in the dryer. Start moving air through them. As much air as you possibly can, if you suck down, that moves the most air possible through, allows you to put in the biggest fan possible, and that removes the free, easy moisture. And then when you get down to 20% or less, use heat or dehumidification to artificially lower that relative humidity. Either make a bigger cup or pull the moisture out of that cup so you can finish off the drying process in another you know, five to 12 hours, depending on how
0: much capacity you have. So one thing I just want to make sure that we touch on here, if you guys are done blinding us with science for a little while, Mm. um, is just the sales and operations impact of doing this wrong. Because we've just spent a whole lot of time talking about all the ways that you can do this right and do this wrong. But why do they have to be dry and dried the right way? Well, if you overheat them and you you burn off all those oils – even if you get them down to the right temperature, but, but you uh, the, the right moisture content, rather, but you do it at a high temperature, your final product will not give the desired result to the brewer, and they're not going to come back the next year.
1: And it's, you know, it's alpha acids, too. You know, if you over-dry them or you hit them with too high heat, you're going to drive up that hop storage index, which is a measure of how abused the hops were, and brewers are going to be pissy about that. So this is a, they will. This is a critical aspect.
0: Yeah, you, so you can go through this process, use the heat, cut the time down, get them down to the right moisture content, and say, those guys didn't know what they were talking about. These are great. I processed them fine. I sold them. Guess what? You're, you're putting sawdust in your beer. Right,
1: And it's, <laughs> um, it's going to taste like straw. Totally.
0: Yep. The On the other side, um, if you have too much moisture in there and you go to process, um, and especially if you're the processor, as much... Fun as harvest is, and you've heard us say it over and over. What a what a trying experience that is! It's nothing compared to cleaning out processing equipment that has run through fifteen percent moisture hops. Right.
1: Oh, it's it's a nightmare, and we let's talk about that later because I don't. It makes me nauseous.
0: So all this that we've just gone over about how to do it right, it's for your it's for your crops benefit, but it's for your benefit, it's for the brewers benefit. Um, you you need to do this the right way for your product to be quality at the end of the day. It's not just a matter of, well, you're going to have a crop or you're not. If you screw it up, it's going to turn to dust or it's going to go moldy. There's an in-between where you can end up with a crop. That's crap. Oh, totally. But it's still a crop.
1: Yep, it's still a crop, and you're going to feel like, why doesn't anybody want this? And I've got to recoup some money because i got a bunch invested in it. Well, I mean— that may be true, but you're not likely to recoup anything from it because the brewers are not going to be happy with you. And is that the image you want to be providing them of your operation? Yep. But I think we can touch on that stuff a little bit later. I think we filled people's heads with a little bit more than, than our normal allowance for time. I would uh, tell folks to look to our website, to look at our online education where we talk more in depth about all of these principles. They can go back and review it and understand it more in their in their capacities for their operations. And uh, absolutely encourage people to reach out to us in the forum, online, through email, and ask questions and present us with, show us pictures of your dryer. Ask us questions. Tell us what you're proud of. All that good kind of stuff.
0: Yep. We want to hear it. We want to share it. We want to answer those questions for you. Cool. Bring it on.
1: Well, for now, Greg, that's all I got.
0: Sounds good to me. Thank you, Dan. I got more. I got more. I got stories to tell. Oh, give him a drink for the love of God. Can
2: I do another podcast?